been Luke chapter 7. We're going to end the chapter in Luke chapter 7. So I want to encourage you to find uh, Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. Denise Banderman told about a learning experience she had in 2002 back in her college days while attending Hannibal LaGrange College in Missouri. Denise was preparing for an exam in youth ministry. When she got to the class, everybody was zoned in and doing their last-minute study uh, before the big exam, the final exam. And then the professor walked in the room, and uh, he told the class that he would do a quick review um, before they took the exam. And so he did, and he he just kind of went through the study guide. And then he began to add things that weren't in the study guide, and that started to make people nervous. And one of them asked the question, um, why is this on the exam? He says, it's in the book. Everything in the book is your responsibility. He said, then he handed out the exams, and all the exams were face down, and the instructions were, do not turn your exam over until everyone has their exam and then I will let you know when it's okay uh, to start. When they turned the exams over, people were quite astonished. All of the answers were already filled out. Everyone got an A. The grades were already on the paper. Their names were already on the paper. And at the bottom of every exam, it said, you will receive an A for the final exam. The reason you passed the test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get an A. You have just experienced grace. I wish I had a professor like that. I used to stay up all night, and uh, at least in the early years, after a while I got, got over that, and I would go in so nervous, and I'd struggle. Um, but that's just like amazing grace. We've received grace. Somebody else did the work. The creator of the universe, and he offers grace. And the passage this morning reminds that of just that, that God's grace is indeed amazing. Let's uh, meet, uh, we're going to look at um, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I'm going to read verse uh, 36 uh, through 39 as we begin. And always remember when you read something like this, it's in context. So like what went on before? So verse 36, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So um, 
Let's look at the passage, and you have an outline in your program. We're going to begin, uh, number one, we want to meet the dinner guests, verses 36 through 39. The invitation in 36 um, is uh, from a man named Simon, and we learn his name in verse 40. We don't know his name yet, but we know he's a Pharisee. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So um, if we look back at the context of the background, and uh, if we just went back to verse uh, 29, um, just remember this from last week. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' word, acknowledged that God was right because they had been baptized by John. Their hearts had already been prepared by the ministry of John the Baptist, by his preaching and his uh, telling them of their need to repent. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and experts in the law, their scribes, rejected God's purpose for themselves. So there was uh, two groups of people. One, that people who responded positively to Jesus and their hearts were open and receptive. And then there was this the other group, and their hearts were hard toward Jesus, and they were mostly religious leaders. And um, so um, Luke mentions now, just after this event where the Pharisees have rejected God's purpose for their lives, now one of them invites Jesus into his home. Now, why did he do that? The scripture doesn't tell us. Is it because he's looking for maybe more evidence to maybe kind of criticize uh, for Jesus and kind of prove that he's really not from God? By the way, they've just, uh, people are saying that Jesus is the prophet from God. Remember, he raised uh, a boy, a young man from the dead previously, and people were saying he's a prophet because that's just like Elijah. We don't know why the Pharisee invited uh, Jesus. Is it because he's curious? Is Jesus really the prophet, a prophet? I want to find out. And so Jesus is invited uh, into the home of the Pharisee. The custom of the day for a dinner party like this was to recline at the table. This would be like the Last Supper on the night before Jesus' death. They reclined at table. And we have a picture of perhaps... Uh, how this might have looked to table. There's, if you, if you fi- do some uh, research, you'll find that tables were a lot of different shapes. Sometimes they might have been like a U shape so that a servant could walk in the middle, but they were low to the ground and people had low couches and they reclined. And they typically reclined uh, on their left side and then they reached in with their right hand to serve. So please see that because it's going to make a difference on uh, what happens here shortly. Because there's an unplanned guest in verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, we're all sinners in the same boat. But there is something, um, attention getting about this woman. Uh, That was her reputation in her community. People knew. It was no secret. This is probably 
a euphemism that she was a prostitute. It's a nice way to talk about uh, this delicate subject of uh, sexual sin. So she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. It was not uncommon for someone to walk into a home like this for a dinner party, especially for a rabbi when there was going to be dialogue and perhaps teaching, and people would come into a room like that, and they would sit on the floor uh, against the wall. They could be on the outside. They couldn't speak, but they could uh, sort of listen in to what was going on with the real people. Um, so we see the uh, uh, so um, the, we we find now that what the uh, woman does with her alabaster jar, verse thirty-eight, and it's an extravagant gift. The extravagant gift. She stood behind him at his feet because, remember, he's lying down at the table. That was the custom. Sandals are removed. He's leaning in. His feet are out. And uh, so she has found him. She's at his feet, and she is weeping. We don't know why, but as we understand the story, she's weeping tears of gratitude. She came to see Jesus. And she's overwhelmed in his presence. And so she stood there weeping. And then she began to wet his feet with tears. This is a strange happening right here, socially. Um, and, you know, this whole, you know, we don't do these things at our dinner parties, any of it. And so we are uncomfortable. But it's not going to bother Jesus. A couple things we see about Jesus. One, here are the Pharisees who have this hard heart and reject their purpose. Gets, Jesus gets invited. He just goes, I want to be a part of this. I want to talk to these people. I'm going to hang out with these people. Their hearts might be hardened, but I'm going to go because I care about them. And then this woman comes in, uh, disreputable, background, Jesus doesn't flinch, doesn't bat an eye. And so she began to wet his feet with tears, and then she just sort of uh, instinctively began to wipe them with her hair. And that was socially a big step outside of what was normal custom, because uh, her hair would have been all up on her head, and uh, women did not let their hair down in public. And uh, so she had to let her hair down, and then there she is on the floor, and she's beginning to wipe Jesus' feet. This is a foot-washing ceremony. And uh, she began to kiss his feet, and she poured the perfume on them. And the perfume wouldn't be like this heavy alcohol stuff that just makes this really strong scent. This would have been like a, an oil base. Um, it was heavily scented. Um, but there was also value to, for dry skin. And um, so she begins, and it's, this is a very expensive thing to do, that she would have this as per perhaps like her life savings. And she wouldn't have had uh, come from a very high socioeconomic background. Uh, that's probably out of desk. She's probably become a prostitute 
uh, out of desperation. And um, so she, she kissed Jesus' feet and she poured perfume on them. Previously, on Follow the Leader, you remember that, Luke chapter 3, verse 16, we, we learn this about John the Baptist. Did, did this have an impact on her? John answered them all, who are you, John? I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is something John understood about Jesus. This is something John understood about the Messiah of Israel, the Christ. John was not, when, when you know who Jesus is, John was not, uh, was not worthy to remove his sandals, to untie his sandals. He was not worthy to be at the feet of Jesus. And this woman gets that. She understands something about Jesus that no one else in the room understands. Not, not everything, but she understands an amazing amount. And she is so humbled in his presence. She takes a big risk because she could have been rejected, criticized, made fun of. All kinds of things happen here. But for Jesus, she humbly serves him. Then we see the response of the judgmental host in verse 39. When Simon the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him. What kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. She's a real deal. So obviously, Jesus, you're not as smart as you think or as smart as people think you are. You would know this is way off limits. This is so inappropriate. And so Simon didn't say this. He's thinking this. And if he was curious about Jesus at all, he now has concluded Jesus is not the real deal. He's not the prophet. So Jesus will engage Simon in a little conversation in verses 40 through 50. And um, we see the conversation, verses 40 and through 42. Jesus is going to tell a story. Now, we've seen this in Luke already. In John, in the Gospel of John, it says, Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. He sensed the situation. He saw what was on people's hearts. Simon hadn't said anything. Jesus answered him, Simon... I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Yeah, go ahead. This ought to be good. I don't know that he really thinks Jesus has anything to say. Verse 41, Jesus says, Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. So Jesus is going to tell a little story, a little parable that's going to have spiritual truth. 500 denarii. Well, in those days, a denarius was considered the value of one day's labor. So this is 500 days labor, considerable sum. The other person owes 50 denarii, 
or 50 days of wages. So, you know, if we try to put some dollar value on that, we might say uh, 500 days. And by the way, they didn't have eight-hour days. 500 days at $100 a day would be $50,000, if that gives you an idea. And 50 days at $100 per day would be $5,000. Give you an idea, so 10 times. Or if it helps, it's 20 months worth of your wages or two months of your wages. And one is 10 times greater. Verse 42, neither of these people, neither of them had the money to pay this moneylender back, so he forgave the debts of both. He didn't break their kneecaps. Which of them will love him more? Both are forgiven. This is a very generous moneylender. Both are debt-free. Who's going to appreciate this forgiveness the most? And the point in verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose, I bet Simon hated to answer because he could see Jesus was leading him and he didn't know where it was going to go. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. That's right, Simon. The one with the bigger debt. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Simon gets the right answer in his head. What about his heart? What about his heart? What does he really think? The explanation, verses 44 through 47. Verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon. He's going to look now at the woman. And we haven't been able to tell at this point, has Jesus ever looked back? He does now, but he, he wants, he's going to make a point. Simon, do you see this woman? Does Simon see the woman? Sure, he does. But does he really? Does he see her value? Does he see her potential? Or does he just see what he wants to see? He wants to see her past reputation. And he's going to categorize her for life. Jesus goes on. He says, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. Because you see, that was a normal, customary thing to do for dinner guests when they came in. You know, they typically wore sandals. Uh, this is what happens in John 13 when Jesus, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It was customary for um, a dinner guest to come into a home like this, a home with some resources when he's having a big dinner party that uh, someone would wash the dinner guest's feet, typically a servant. I suppose you could wash your own feet if you had the water and the towel. And uh, Simon didn't do that. Jesus said, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She served Jesus. Verse 45, Simon, you did not give me a kiss. Because that was the customary thing to do. When you went into a home and a male would greet another male, he would kiss him on the cheek. I'm glad you don't do that today. But that was customary. But this woman, from the time I entered, had not stopped kissing my feet. She shows honor to Jesus. 
She's displaying her gratitude. She's amazed in his presence. She's a grateful person. Verse 46, you did not put oil on my head because that was customary. After a guest came in and their feet were washed, they would anoint their head with olive oil. That was just customary. But she poured perfume on my feet. She didn't feel important enough to pour it on my head. She poured it on my feet. She understood how a little bit how great Jesus was. Verse 47. And one of the things we learn here about Jesus, think about this. He values social graces. There's no command in the Bible to wash anybody's feet when they come to your house for dinner. But that was the custom of their day. This is how you greet someone warmly. Should we value social graces? What in our culture is an appropriate warm way to greet people, to entertain people? What should our attitude be? We can learn that from Jesus. Jesus understood his culture. And he understood how to relate and he values these things. And then Jesus surprises everybody in the room. And Jesus not only knows Simon's heart, he knows this woman's heart. He knows why she's there. She's already experienced forgiveness. Maybe she was in the audience one time when John the Baptist uh, was preaching. Maybe she went out to hear him. Maybe she heard the call to repentance and to show it, to come forward to be baptized. We don't know her background. Maybe she's heard Jesus preach before, and she understands um, that God wants her to humble herself and to come to him and to receive the message. And she's already experienced forgiveness. And she is responding to Jesus out of her love. She's responding. She's serving him because she understands the gift. She understands what uh, God has already done for her. In verse 47, he says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown It's a demonstration. Her love is a demonstration of the forgiveness that she's already experienced. She's had great sin, and she knows it, and she has great gratitude. Her love is great. But whoever has been forgiven little, Jesus goes on, loves little. Great sin, great response, great love. Little sin, little response, little love. But how about Simon? Probably pretty great sin, a lot greater than he'll ever let on. No response, no love, no forgiveness. 
forgiveness. At least we don't know that. We don't ever see that in Scripture. That his heart is changed. By the way, do you appreciate the gift that God has given to you? You know, sometimes it's sometimes people say to me, "Well, I, I wish that I could have come to faith like you did when you were 25 and you were an atheist." And you really appreciate what you got. Yeah, I do. I did. I do. There are many times along the way I wished I wished I grew up in a Christian home and I had Christian parents who could guide me and still be guiding me today. You know, I wish that too. And um, it, it doesn't make any difference when you came to faith. As you get to know God, as you get to know him, you can, you can grow in your appreciation. When you, the more you understand who he is, and you're gonna, this is, it's this book. It's, it's in the book. You're responsible for what's in the book. And as you get to know him, your love will grow whether you've been a great sinner or a little sinner in your own eyes. The problem is we often sort of become like the Pharisee who, well, okay, I'm a sinner, a little bit of a sinner. I'm not like these other people. I'm not as bad as them. And that's not how it works. We're all, we're all in that same boat. We, we've all sinned. And the consequences are the same for all people, except for the offer of forgiveness. Verse 42, or excuse me, verse uh, 48. And now we see the pardon. Now Jesus said to her, publicly your sins are forgiven. And this is like a, an announcement. And I think this is a great assurance for her, which she's already experienced. But Jesus says it out loud. And not only that, he does this for the whole room. He does it for her, but he does it for the whole room. And it displays his sovereign authority. And the audience gets this in verse 49, the response. The, the other guests began saying among themselves, Who is this even who forgives sins? Because they understand from the Old Testament already that only God can truly forgive sin. Only God, who is this man? And for people who were around Jesus, it, it stirred up great curiosity, which was all good because that's how people find answers is they become curious and they search for answers. And there are answers. And Jesus sort of gives a benediction in verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And this is the key explanation, explanation for us all. It was not her acts of love. It wasn't her acts of service in the foot washing or the tears. It was her faith. And her acts of service were the response to faith. It was her devotion to Jesus because of what she had already experienced. It was her faith in Jesus that saved her. So um, I want to take a few minutes at the end of this message to kind of remind us of some important things. It's a reminder to all of us. How do you have your sins forgiven? And uh, 
there's really good news about this. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus has given um, instruction in, in his word about, okay, our, we've experienced forgiveness, and oh, what if I mess up? What if I fail? Well, he's given us provision. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of an all unrighteousness. That's God's desire for you this morning. If you're a follower of Christ, you've gotten off the path. He just wants you, to, he wants you to come back. He wants you to confess. He wants you to acknowledge that. And he wants to clean the, clear the slate again. As a follower of Christ, you've already placed your faith in Christ. You've already had your sins forgiven, but now it's just like as a child in a family. They're in the family, but they've disobeyed and they need to get back right with the parents. So that's, what, that's a provision God has for us. So let, us, let me remind all of us, and if you've not yet placed your faith in Christ, I hope you think this, will think this through very carefully this morning. The first thing is, all of us have moral debt to God. All of us have moral debt. The Bible calls it sin also. Uh, in the 8th century, Isaiah uh, the prophet wrote this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Uh, we all tend to wander, all. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that's about the future Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Each of us has turned his, our own way. We, we have a tendency to become self-focused, uh, to place ourselves at the center of the universe and make life about me. By the way, Simon the, the, the Pharisee knew this. This isn't new stuff here. And then we have the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. He says, for all have sinned. All people have sinned. All of us. Sort of like the religious and the irreligious. The super good people and the super bad people. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we fall, we fall short of God's standards. What are his standards? Well, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So it's 100% accuracy in every command. So if you just did just sinned once in the last 50 years, sorry, you're a sinner. You're no longer perfect. The second thing I want us to remind us of is that the consequences of our moral debt is death, which here is a reference to eternal spiritual death. Let's go back to Isaiah 59.2. This is something Simon would have understood. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin separates us from God. Breaks off relationship with God. That's what happened. That's what sin does. Um, then in um, Romans six twenty three, 
The Apostle Paul, this is first century, says the wages of sin is death. Wages are consequences. They're what we earn for what we do. What we earn for our lives of sin is death. And again, this is about separation. Sin separates us from God. Death, physical death, is a separation. It's a separation of the body from the soul. If you go to a cemetery at a graveside service, the body goes into the ground. The soul lives on. It's invisible, immaterial, and eternal. Spiritual death, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, is eternal separation from God. Not only will the body be separated from God, but the soul will be separated from God for an eternity. Jesus also called this hell. The third uh, is the solution, and this is really good news. So I've really been talking about bad news about sin, and now there's some really good news. The solution for our moral debt is found in Jesus Christ. This is the solution. One of my favorite passages has been John 14, 6. I have been known to use that as a password to a website or two in the past. I try to change them. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came to this earth to provide the way to God. That's why he came. That's what his life was about. That's what his death and resurrection were about, to provide the way, to pay for our sin penalty. Jesus came, overcame sin, he overcame death, and he came to offer life, and he is that life. 1 Peter 3.18 puts it this way, For Christ also suffered for sins. Other versions say, for Christ also died for sins once for all. He just needed to do it once. It was enough. It was a total payment, total for the sins of the entire world for all time because his life is infinitely valuable. He just did it once. Nobody can add anything to it. He doesn't need to come again to die. Why did he do it? He... he First of all, it was the righteous for the unrighteous. He is the righteous one. I am the unrighteous one. He took my place. He did it to bring you and me to God, to bring us into a relationship. We are separated. Now he wants to bring us to God and begin that relationship with God. He was put to death in the body. That was the crucifixion. He was nailed to the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. And then he was made alive by the Spirit. This is a resurrection, and the resurrection was all about the proof of victory, the proof of victory over sin, victory over death, ultimately also the victory over the evil one. Last of all, number four, God has one requirement for us to be saved from the consequences of our own moral debt, and that's our personal faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the woman that went into Simon's home didn't understand all of this, but she understood that Jesus was the answer. Jesus was the solution. 
And she responded to him by personal faith. By the way, it is personal. Jesus died for the entire world, for all people. And he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows all of the ups and downs you face, the whys, the struggles, the pain. And he loves you. He knows your failures, and he loves you. Um, Simon, as the religious leader, didn't really care about what Jesus offered or who he was. Um, Simon thought he was good enough for God already. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 uh, remind us of our grace. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. So this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus, and he's reminding them, it is by grace you've been saved. How did he get saved? It's by grace. What is, what's grace? It's unmerited favor, something you don't deserve. It's the professor taking the test for you and giving you an A, whether you studied all night or didn't study at all. You don't deserve it. It's grace. Jesus did it all. You don't deserve it. It's grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. So God provides grace, and then we respond through faith. That's how we receive this grace. That's how we receive the gift. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works. You don't you can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's not about how good you are. You know, in the first century, when you looked at good people, the Pharisees were at, on the top as far as what society thought of them. They were super good. Everybody knew God, they were going to heaven. But that's not, performance was not what they were judged on. It is the gift of God, not by works. When I grew up, I grew up in a church where I was taught to believe in Jesus and be good, do good things, do good works, and hopefully those two together would make it possible for me to be accepted by God. That totally goes against Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It is by grace you've been saved. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Because the problem is, is that people think, because they're good, they begin to think they're better than other people and that God loves them because of how, how well they perform. That's not what the Bible says. I want to end with John 3.16 as a reminder. It's the most famous passage in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. God so loves you Every person in the world, he still loves them. He loves the unborn. He loves those people who will be born. He loves you. He knows you. That's the reason he gave his son. He gave us a gift. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, who would die on the cross, pay the penalty for our sin. Why? 
Whoever believes in him, the Son, Jesus Christ, shall not perish, shall not experience death, eternal death, hell, but have eternal life, an eternal relationship with God, which includes heaven, which includes an eternal kingdom. That's God's heart. He loves you, wants to be in a relationship with you, every person. Many of you in this room have experienced that forgiveness that comes with it, eternal life. You have a relationship with Christ. Some of you in this room have not placed your faith in Christ yet, perhaps. And I want to give uh, an opportunity this morning for you to put your faith in Christ. And uh, one of the ways you can do that is through prayer. And I would like to offer a prayer this morning that you could pray silently from your heart if it represents you, if this is something you want. If you're already a follower of Christ, I just ask that you'll pray for me, that I'll be clear. Um, So here's a prayer that represents an opportunity for you to put your faith in Christ. Dear God, I know I have moral debt. I I admit. So I'm going to go through this two times. And Uh, I want you to think about this, and then we'll bow our heads together the second time, and I'll give you an opportunity. So the prayer will go like this. Dear God, I know that I have moral debt before you, that I'm a sinner. I understand that Jesus died for me. Thank you. I trust him right now. He's alive and well right now. I trust him to pay the penalty for my sin. And I I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. I want to welcome him to be in my life. And I want to ask him to help me to follow him to be the kind of person he wants me to be. It can be that simple. It's you responding to God by faith. He's offering you a gift. You can respond. So let's all bow our heads um, together and... um, If that prayer made sense to you, you can just silently, you can follow along and and repeat this back to God from your own heart. Dear God, I know I have moral debt. That is, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. He paid for my sins. And I don't deserve it. I trust him right now to pay the penalty for my sins. And I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. I want to ask Jesus to help me be the kind of person that he wants me to be. I want to follow him. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, right where you're sitting and everybody's head's still bowed, if you prayed that prayer with me, just slip up your hands so I can see. If you prayed that prayer, just slip up your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. you can, anyone else? Okay, put your hands down. God, I'm so grateful for the good news that you sent your son Jesus for all of us, for every person in this room. And I do thank you for those who raised their hands this morning that indicated that they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, may... Um, May they have a sense of your forgiveness right now, forgiveness that comes from you. May they have a sense of your presence in their life right now. 
May they have the hope of following Jesus and know they have eternal life. And God, for all of us, I pray today, and we are reminded about loving Jesus, which is the greatest command. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. Lord, may we be mindful of who you are, who Jesus is, and who we are. May we be humble in your presence. May we continue to grow in our appreciation and love for you as we serve you. May we do it because of a grateful heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.